Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, how's it going? Welcome to the Kindness Podcast. In this episode, you really are in for a treat. And everybody after me. Yes, I know I say that every time, but you really are. I sat down with 84-year-old Margaret McInerney. This individual has lived a life that many would only dream of. We talk about her early years and having to experience what it would be like to be bombed. She talks about her life as a teacher. She talks about loss of her husband. She talks about her view on kindness and being selfish. Get a pen and paper, take some notes. This is going to be a good one. My name's Tim Bosworth, and this is The Kindness Podcast. Hi, welcome to The Kindness Podcast. My guest today is 84-year-old ex-deputy head teacher from Manchester in the northwest of England. She was born in 1937 just before World War II. She's experienced periods and moments of social change that many would only dream of experiencing. As mentioned, an ex-deputy head teacher, an ex-bank clerk, a mother, a wife, a speciality coffee drinker, <laughs> and uh, certainly a very well-respected member of the Harrogate community. Margaret McInerney, welcome to The Kindest Podcast. Thank you very much. Margaret, it's an absolute honour to actually get you on here. Um, as mentioned, you are a very well-respected member of the Harrogate community. Why do you think that is? Because I think I come across so many people in how I spend my days that, you know, I've become friendly with. I don't know their names. They know my name, which I suppose is a bit neglectful. But, um, you know, they say, hello, Margaret, we sit and or stand and chat. And I think this is why I'm well known. I think testament to you is that you are, I would argue, probably one of the most active, I'll mention your your age again, Margaret, and that'll probably be the last time, because I know you're not supposed to mention a lady's age, but you're probably one of the most active 84-year-old individuals I know. How many miles 
a week do you average in terms of uh, distance? I did about 34 miles last week. 34 miles. Goodness, that's more than most people do in a good week or two, at least, I'm sure. But I don't work, so I have very little else to do. (laughs) Well, no, again, it is a testament to you. Um, Now, I remember um, first meeting you, just for the the purpose of those people listening. Um, um, I had a coffee shop in Harrogate, um, just down from um, a very well-respected tea room in Harrogate called Betty's, um, which is based on Parliament Street, and we had our first uh, coffee shop down on Parliament Street. And I remember you coming into the coffee shop and uh, it, it wasn't um, a case of wonder as to why this individual was coming in to have a coffee. It was more the case of how welcome and open you were to conversation and how welcome and open you were towards just being yourself. Um, I wonder if you wouldn't mind just telling us briefly what got you towards coming to visit Hoxton North or the coffee shop I had there in the first instance, please? Well, I got reasonably friendly with two people that I met on Sunday morning at Betty's in Harlow Car. And they said that they had been to a coffee shop on Parliament Street. So that's why I went to see, to suss it out sort of thing. So that's how I came, you know, to walk through your little into your little, your very small uh, coffee bar. And that's right. And um, why were you coming to a coffee shop uh, on your own? Because I hadn't long been um, left widowed and I needed, you know, something to do. I didn't want to not do anything. Mm -hmm. So as I'm quite, I don't know whether the correct word is gregarious, and I thought I'm... (laughs) You know, I'd go out and see what was going on in Harrogate on my own. I think gregarious is a word. I would say outgoing. I would say friendly. I would say most definitely polite, well-mannered, um, opinionated. <laughs> that's a, I'm not sure that's a compliment. <laughs> no, no it, it very much so is. It very much so is. And um, I, I want to, uh, if I may, um, as I do on um, some episodes, is to take our listeners on a journey, uh, on a life journey, if I may. And... Um, Take us on a journey that starts um, from where you were born and perhaps takes us on a journey through your life and uh, travels as to how you got to where you are today. Um, Margaret, where were you born? Uh, Manchester, Crumpsall Hospital, I believe. Mm -hmm. Father? Um, Not the person that the mother married. Oh, right. So I don't know who my father was. Uh, And mother? Yeah, I did have a mother, yes. Um, Mary, mm-hmm. which were part of her name I've I've taken. Um, and I was born to her and we lived with her on my own uh, for quite a while and due to various circumstances. Mm-hmm. And then very strangely, after I'd been born, my grandparents um, adopted me from my mother, mm-hmm. which is really quite strange. And they officially adopted me. And then Joe, who was my mother's husband, uh, then came back to live. And I lived you know, as a family group. Mm-hmm. 
And obviously at that time, I had no idea what the circumstances were and yeah. didn't find out till I was about 58. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. long time in waiting for that. Yeah, sure. And sure. And as I mentioned, um, you brought us of 1937. So that's a couple of years before World War Two. Any memories of that time, that period in yeah. history? Yeah. Um, my grandparents had a pub in Manchester called the church inn and we lived there and I can remember excuse me <clears throat> going into air aid shelter across the road or um, sheltering in the cellar under tables and barrels and things and seeing whatever it went was flying over Manchester so I do remember I do remember the um, the war and do you remember this of the noise yeah when um, whatever planes flew over mm-hmm. and then you're waiting for I think a silence and then the bombs bombs dropped so you know I, I, Manchester was obviously one of the targets um, of, of uh, Germany. And what age were you at this point? Well I was three I can remember being three entertaining people going into the pub my grandparents used to sit me on the bar and I used to, I used to sing to uh, to entertain them. I sort of remember you know remember these things mm-hmm. not not fully. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then we moved. My mother and Joe uh, moved out of there. At, uh, I'm trying to think. I can't remember where we moved to, which I can remember moving to um, a house as a family. Joe was in the army by that time. And I think my sister, my sister was born in 39, Mm -hmm. Um, my next sister. Um, But I did, she, I can remember going back to that house and my sister saying, you don't live here. Oh, really? Because I'd lived with uh, my grandparents. I wear my grandmother's wedding ring as my wedding ring. And is that um, due to sort of... Well, fa- my, gran- my grandfather gave me that after my grandmother died. Yes. So my husband used that as um, as my wedding ring. So born in 1937, you, you remember the war, you remember the sort of the sounds that were made as the, the bombs were being dropped. Um, what were your teenage years like? I was a very good, well-behaved teenager. Really? As you could <laughs> As you probably might expect, um, went to youth club. At that time, lived in a shop uh, in Moston in Manchester. What kind of shop was it? Uh, grocers. I bought a you know, mixed gro- grocery. We made ice cream, and I used to go out on a bike with a basket in front and a freezer, whatever. And I used to drive, uh, ride to the entrance to, to a park and sell ice cream. Goodness me. <laughs> so an early entrepreneur, Margaret. Well, I didn't get the profits. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, outside toilet, of course, in those days. Right, okay. And that, that sounds just bizarre, I'm sure, as people think about it now, to have an outside, outside toilet. With newspaper, with a hole in, hanging on a, a nail... Sorry, say that again. We didn't have, we didn't have toilet paper. So you had a newspaper with a hole in it? Newspaper that we used to cut into squares, right. put a hole in the corner and hang it on the nail outside. 
Goodness me. Outside toilet, no bathroom inside the shop. So uh, interesting. And a cellar. I'm sure. And do you look back on these times with, with fond memories or are you glad of that time uh, to have uh, been behind you now? No, it was all part of my my life. That is how the people sort of had the expectations that that was what, what it was going to be, you know, like. Obviously, at that time, they never dreamt of how I am now and where life has got me to, mm-hmm. or to where my life has got me. I don't know grammatically, which sure, is great. Sure. So I, I touched on in the intro that you've experienced through the decades moments and changes that only individuals could only have, have dreamed of, um, sort of cultural changes, social changes, music changes. What highlights uh, do you remember of, say, I don't know, the 60s and 70s kind of music and, and uh, youth culture? Um, I've never been one really to think, oh, I really, really like that. Beatles, obviously, appeared. I'm not really quite sure. Bing Crosby, um, Nat King Cole, all those are part of my um Background. One of one thing I do remember is my mother used to sing Blue Moon. I can't remember who sang that, and that's part of that's part of my of my memory. Fat Swallow, all these names that come back come back to me. But, um, but on the whole, I was ne- I'm never I'm not a music uh, listener mm-hmm. in many ways. Classic FM as I had on had on today. There are some places that I like the music that's played in the background mm-hmm. yes. and, and others I don't. So you say you, you weren't so much a music listener. So what um, was a, a teenage Margaret or so Margaret in her early 20s uh, doing? Well, te- we used, there, there used to be youth clubs and people used to go, this is usually where you met your boyfriends and you know girlfriends. Uh, all really innocent in those days, like parties were blind man's buff and stuff like that. There was there was no uh, what you would call carryings on. Well, I'm, I'm laughing as now, a Catholic, Mark. As a Catholic, that made a lot of difference. Well, I'm, I'm smiling to myself, Mark, because <laughs> when you say blind man's buff, <laughs> some people listening think, what, what on earth well, is, right. is, is blind man's buff? Is it something you might see on... Um, Celebrity uh, Big Brother or something like that. Well, you, if it was a party, with this must have been teenagers, you used to be in the room, somebody would put a blindfold on, you would turn round and round, then you would go round and find somebody, then perhaps go outside in the hall and have a kiss. Right. And, and then come, so it was, a, it was as innocent as that. So it was Big Brother of its day, seemingly. <laughs> Hard, hardly. I don't watch Big Brother. I've heard about it, but uh, I don't watch it. So, what's uh, what's your, um, your your sort of go to when it comes to television at the moment? What, what are you interested oh, in? I've got a very strange, uh, I think, the eclectic taste. I watch hospital programs, real and drama. I watch police pro- police programs. Uh, I like to see the police chasing uh, miscreants around <laughs> around Harrogate and elsewhere. Um, I must admit, dreadfully, I confess, I watch Neighbours. Is that still going? It is still going. Goodness me. And Harold appears occasionally because it's advertising spec savers. Wow. 
Now, again, for anybody listening who doesn't watch Neighbours, um, it was a show uh, set in sort of suburban Australia. Melbourne. Melbourne, that's right. And it was set on a street called Ramsey Street. And there was various sort of goings on that would happen uh, within the street, everything from affairs to... Oh, still goes on. Oh, does it? Yes. Oh, right. I must uh, update myself on the the, the goings on of of Neighbours. but uh, yeah, so obviously you, you like sort of television. Yeah. Um, and, and one thing I know, and many people of, of Harrogate do know of you, that you are a specialty coffee drinker, Margaret. How, how, did, uh, how did that come about? Well, I wouldn't dare tell you what I drink in this house. <laughs> it it's not one of your specialty coffees, but I do like to go for a coffee, as you well know. But what I like most about going for the coffee is the social aspect it's really a very major part of my life i would have to agree and i think most people who know you and you are known as as margaret lady margaret etc and various other names i'm sure various other names i don't know about those sure both positive and otherwise um and again you are very well respected in in terms of um who you are and and you mentioned uh, the idea of, of of going to sort of coffee shops or cafes etc and spending time chatting to the various owners and, and the various customers in these places and what's interesting to me is that um i, I touched on it in a, in a previous podcast how food and obviously drink coffee being an example of that connects people um and i think um for you i'm sure it's not just about the coffee yeah, definitely not so what interesting stories have you heard on your on your sort of travels that uh, you know that uh, have made you smile over the years what i find surprising is the people i do know from the independent two coffee shops that i go to are how I well I appear to get on with a wide age range. So we sit there and chat and it, you know, I think I'm possibly the oldest person in perhaps both of the coffee shops. But I you know, we exchange views, we exchange jokes, sometimes inappropriate to a 84-year-old. But <laughs> but then again, I quite like that that they treat me as one of one of them. And you know, I find that really good. For me, and um, I, I know when we've sp- spoken before, you've you've touched on the idea of others of your age group being old. I wanted to know what's your view on on aging, um, and whether you feel that the age, which, which I say don't believe is the case with you, but what's your view on aging in terms of your view on how people view you as an eighty-four-year-old individual? I think they view me as perhaps unusual as an 84-year-old because of the walking I do. I think probably it's become a little bit obsessive. Um, but you, as you probably know, I've had two two new hips, three mini strokes. So I feel as though I am really, really lucky to be as fit and well as I am that I can do what I do within the strict restrictions of the last two years. Mm. I've still gone on holiday, but which I do on my own. But, um, so I don't think I don't think of aging for me, apart from the fact that I haven't got much time left the, at that end. But I don't think of myself being old, and it's very very flattering when people say, "Oh, goodness me, you're not eighty-four. 
So <laughs> do you feel that as one gets older, the age is merely, as the cliche goes, age is just a number then? Well, it is a number. It's a big number as well. So you know, it, is a massive, it is a massive number. Um, I've outlived my husband in, well, he, he would have been 90 this year, my, my mother, whoever my father was. So I've outlived those people. And I never, you know, you think back how quickly the years have gone and yet 84 years have gone and they've gone quickly, which is frightening in a way. And this is something that um, I think those of us who are younger in both age and mind, body and spirit, if you like, view age as, oh, it's some some long distance time in the future. Whereas what you're saying is it, it blinks and it goes in it a does. heartbeat. It does. Every day goes quickly. Every night when I throw my one of my many cushions off the bed, I'm thinking, I did this not very long, not very long ago. Every day is a bonus. You so know, every day is a bonus. In terms of you being alive or just generally that you've been able to experience as much of life as you have? I feel more more than alive. That sounds a bit, a bit strange. I don't know how to explain that. I feel more of a li- alive because I can do what I do. You know, and sort of... Don't know. Really, it's quite quite strange. I want I want another tomorrow and another tomorrow and another year mm. and another year. So, what's interesting to me is you, you've. I, I think to myself, how many eighty four year olds do I know that walk the number of miles that you walk, that are as social as you are, and as outgoing as you are? And dare I say, they're not that many. You are an anomaly. You are um, a little bit. Um, left field, perhaps, and um, I suppose. I suppose I wanted to know um, where does that come from? Where does this um, want to be different, perhaps, come from? I never think of myself wanting to be different. I, I just want to be me as long as possible. You know, I don't want. I don't want to be different. I mean, I might have to be different if my health. Well, I would have to be different, but I just want to continue to be me. Yeah. That's all, really. So if you are talking to your teenage self or your or Margaret in her 20s, what are you telling her then that you've learned now? Uh, it's very difficult looking back and thinking because you, your mind is as a, in, in your 20s. I mean, obviously, I was married in my 20s, had two, two sons. Um, and life then... Things happen that you expect it to happen at that time. Can you elaborate on that? What do you mean? Well, you were expected to get married. You know, that was an expectation. You were expected to be because of religion that you would have children. Um, you didn't think ever you would get um, divorced. Religion comes into that, and that's that's how people were. There were divorces, obviously, um, but that's what your expectations were. You would have a house. Hopefully, you would um, have a reasonable house. You, you you might pay off your mortgage eventually, but th- things happen that 
you didn't think were going to be any different than your your friends. And if anything did happen, it was a bit of a catastrophe for them. So life was, I mean, in a way, I've had quite a quite an easy easy life. You know, we both worked, so we provided. Um, you know, we went on holiday, not like we did when <laughs> when the children had gone, because as you know, we had a lot of holidays. My husband was very keen. I went, enjoyed them, but I hated flying. Oh, really? I, I just hated flying. That's why eventually I just said to my husband, I am not flying again. I don't want to fly. I was, I'd grab hold of anybody sitting next to me, whether it was my husband or not. But we travelled wide, wild, not wildly, widely, all over the world. So your husband passed um, back in two, 2012. 2012. Yeah. What was he like? Uh, he was kind. He was patient. He put up with a nagger. Because <laughs> I, I was a bit of a nagger, I must admit, especially when driving. Um, he didn't cook. Uh, he liked his bacon sandwiches. He loved his holidays and he worked until he was 65 and a week. He didn't die, he didn't die in harness. But in those days, people, you know, had the same job from being, you know, being a youngster. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, he was, he was very patient, uh, patient. In fact, if the children had to be told off, it was mother who told them off. And, uh, and still does at times. Sure. And uh, do you miss him? Yes. But how, quite strange really, I he used to go to visit my son in Egypt or whatever. So he went on holiday because I wouldn't fly. So I imagine that that's where he is. He's gone on holiday. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so that's made, you know, made it easy. And you, some people just, you know, if their partner dies, you know, they go to pieces. I decided I didn't want to, I wanted, didn't want to do that. So I imagine that he's, you know, he's gone on holiday. Um, at the moment, he, well, not now, he's, he's, he's in the Lake District because that's where we scattered his ashes mm-hmm. in the Lake District. But, uh, so that means means a lot. He never knew Hoxton's. He would have loved going for coffee, as I do. He would have liked. He would have liked that. He used to go to the gym. I didn't go to the gym, but so he was a very fit man. Unfortunately, um, how did he meet? We met after benediction, which is a Catholic service on Sunday at the Holy Name in Manchester. Um, I must have gone with a, with a friend and he asked me to dance. He went back to his friend, Brian, and he said, if I had to take my chance, I'd marry that girl. And that was after, that was after one dance. Wow. And then he, you know, in those days, you, you didn't have a car. I must have gone home by bus. <laughs> And we started going out together. We were going out for eight months and we got engaged. After eight months? Yeah. Goodness me, Margaret. And then we saved up for our bottom drawer. That's what people used to have, a bottom drawer. 
And what got, was that, sorry? Got, what was that? Well, you used to save up. You didn't start off with a house and furniture and thing. We started that. We did start off with um, a detached house in Heaton Moor. But what was the, um, sorry to interrupt you there, what was the, the bottom drawer? Is that physical bottom drawer? Well, that's what they used to call it. You, you, you used to think, right, this month we'll buy a kettle. This yes. month we'll buy bedding. And you used to you know, build up that. We had no carpets, certainly no carpets in the bedroom. And, you know, people bought things. In fact, somewhere in this house is a little notebook that he kept to say what he had bought that month for the house. Wow. So that was a, that was a bottom bottom drawer. There was no expectations of having everything at once. Well, there weren't things to buy anyway. It, uh, Take me back to uh, one of your favourite uh, holidays with your husband. The fa- some of the fav- the favourite holidays was when we used to go walking in France. Um, we did ten of those overall, and we used to set off on our own with walking notes, staying at lovely little loges, walking to the next hotel, and then spending the night there. Then the next morning, setting off with a picnic in our rucksacks and going off, sitting beside the road. I used to absolutely love those. Um, been to South America, been up the Amazon, been to India, been to Japan. Wow. My husband was really, really keen. At, uh, we went on honeymoon, we went to Switzerland on honeymoon. Goodness me, I did, I did not know you were as well-travelled as that, Matt. <laughs> it seems to me, and I'm just smiling listening to you, and... Um, this is a film. It's, it's a romantic film of uh, somebody meeting somebody at a dance and, and asking them to dance to then eight months later getting engaged and, and, the, and the life journey that they have. I wonder if people can take any lessons from that because we live in a fast world culture. Well, it's, it's meet me now. It's, you know, it's, it's not as romantic, I don't think. What are your views on sort of today and how, you know, because I think years ago, the idea of courting, is that correct? Courting, Yes. Yeah. So, so what's you your idea? You didn't live together. Right. You didn't live together. You never spent, people at the time never spent a night together because it, it just wasn't, it was done, but not in the people that, we, you know, we knew it was a very, I don't know, perhaps I've missed a lot. <laughs> no, I don't think you have. Um, but the question I was going to ask, what, what are your views on, on today's sort of, uh, form of romancing if you like i'm sure there is romance about but it's it's a different it's a different view of getting together i don't think it's i don't think i I don't really think there's a courting situation i think people are together very quickly as opposed to spending time sussing sussing the situation out and perhaps rush into it and that's why quite often it doesn't it doesn't last because they don't actually know. Mind you, we were married within two two years, so that was quite quick, I suppose. Mm. And do you think that was a, a, a generational uh, thing? Probably, probably. It wasn't all a bed of roses. You know, um, there were times where I thought, oh, my God, you know, 20-odd years, 20-odd years. How, how will, because people argue, you, you know, you, you're not normal, I don't think, if you don't disagree. You wouldn't, I don't think you'd be human. And I think to anybody listening out there, you, I think you're absolutely right. You know, those relationships that uh, seem on the surface to be uh, 
how can I say, uh, the perfect relationship. Um, I think um, what you're saying is that that's not, that's not the norm. I think it's all, and it all depends on, um, you know, there are people who start living together without the sort of trappings of, um, of a house situation and they, they find difficulties financially and that can't help. You know, that can't help. And then children come along or they have already come along. So I think it all, you know, it all depends. And if you are, when I say reasonably well, if you are able financially to manage, that makes a lot of difference. That makes a a heck of a lot of difference. Yeah, I would agree with that, Margaret. Um, I want to jump back, if I may, to uh, your time as a deputy head teacher. How did you get into teaching? And was this something that um, you, you fell into or was this something you've always uh, wanted to do? Well, when I left um, school, which was a school run by nuns in Manchester, um, not very far from where I lived when I got married, um, and I decided I would go to college to, be, uh, to train to be a teacher and then decided I would have a year out which in those days was not really heard heard of. And I worked for 12 months. And then, of course, after that, I didn't want to go to college. Then I worked for a bank for quite a few years, District Bank, which is now, I think, part of NatWest. And then when we moved from Manchester via Birmingham, Sutton Coalfield to Leeds, um, I decided, found a course for married women to train to be a teacher, four-year course, by that time, I was married with two children, and I did my training when I was 30. In fact, I wrote a poem on my first week, college at 30, what am I doing? It's all there with my other poetry that I've written. Um, so I did a four-year course and then went and worked in Garfus, then got a, a job in Kirkdeaton, and then went to, as a deputy head in Outwood in Wakefield. It's a brand new school. It was, you know, I was there when it first opened. I went there as um, as deputy head. I never became a never became a head. And what was the education system like? So what, what decade are we talking about here? Um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think. It's, I, I retired when I was 58, so I was 34. So 34 from 58, a long, it's a long time ago. a long time ago. Long time. Well, it, there was no national curriculum then. Right. Um, you sort of really, well, we had to, to, you know, we were able to sort of have uh, guide, you know, guidelines. You could smack children then, um, not cane them or anything like that, but, but you could actually smack children until then it decided you could only smack them if the parents gave permission. And it was interesting to the ones who didn't give permission (laughs) or whatever. So I was there. I was interviewed for the headship but didn't get it, which was really, you know, really, really awful. uh, Did you want the position? Yeah, I applied applied for it. Um, By that time, education was looking at let the children do as they want to do, whatever. There was a lot of freedom. And I I was in a situation where parents said, don't you leave before you get little Johnny or Sarah or whatever. 
Uh, I was firm, but fair, as I was with my husband. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, any student would want any teacher to be firm um, and fair. I think that's anything, uh, if anything, um, the education system, I think, perhaps lacks that to an extent. I think there are, there are teachers who do an incredible job. I wouldn't like to teach now. No, I definitely would not want not. to teach now. Yeah, the challenges that they face must be incredible. Absolutely incredible. When I retired, I, I did a little bit of um, work to doctor surgery weighing babies. That was quite nice. I used to go in once a week and the babies were brought in. And uh, and then I did some work on the on the um, records, record system. At one stage in my life, I actually worked at Bellevue in Manchester at the Greyhounds. And I used to do the announcing. The announcing at the Greyhounds. Did you really? Yes, I did. I've forgotten about that. So um, that's like the, the dog track, is that yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. So you, you would call the names of the, the dogs? Yes. Yeah. I, first of all, I thought I was selling um, the tickets and then they must have thought I was all right to go on on uh, the microphone and I used to call out. I'd forgotten all about that. Goodness <laughs> me. Oh, gosh, that's a flash in the past well again this is what um the kindness is all about is for me it's just getting an understanding of of the life journeys of uh of the guests that we have on and, and perhaps this is the, uh, uh, an appropriate time perhaps to uh, start the formalization of the, of the podcast and ask that first question margaret um about kindness and, and i ask you this if i may uh what does kindness mean to you when i was walking back from the um, a local coffee place today. I don't know whether I can advertise. Begins with her to be phonetic. I thought, when is one aware in life of what kindness is? Because as a child, being given sweets or a toy, a child wouldn't know that was kindness. And I was thinking, when when does anybody think that was a kind deed? And I was thinking about kind deeds, like somebody giving up their seat on a bus. And when you get older, you don't really want people to give up the seat on, the, on a bus because it makes you feel really old. That's a horrible thing. But I, I don't know where kindness comes in. It can be something that you do. Or it could be something that you don't do. What do you mean? Well, you can be kind by not doing or saying something. You know, you might hold back from saying, um, you look, oh, that looks awful, that doesn't suit you. By not saying it, that's being kind. They don't know you're being kind. So there's a sort of negative aspect of, of kindness Kindness is like for me, like smiling at somebody when you walk when you're walking, and there's a lot of that goes on. But when I'm you're walking, people might not say anything, but they smile, and that's a kind. That's because you've made a connection. Um, kindness is like sometimes when I go into somewhere and it's full, people will give up there and say, "Do you want to sit over here, Margaret?" Because they know who I am. And you know, you know that's kind. Kindness is like I've uh, letting somebody go in front of you 
in the queue in the supermarket when they've only got one thing and you've got quite quite a lot of things. Doing things for your family is is you know kind as well. It can be monetary, or it can be looking after the dog. That's very that's very kind. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't I don't do anything. Well, kindness can be given to charity as well. You know that's kindness to organisations, but that's. Um, you can be kind to yourself, I suppose. You, can, you know, you can be kind to yourself. It's not really something I've sought. I looked it up in the dictionary uh, this afternoon. That dictionary hasn't been open for ages. I actually should have Googled it. Um, and it just says being appreciative of people and, and things. Um, Do you think people appreciate you I think my family my family do um in many ways I mean I'd, if you help somebody out financially even if they might not be in need but it helps them make their life better um I think they do they, they do appreciate me I also appreciate them uh, when they've got time but of course they're busy they're busy people you know they're busy people um, I try to be kind to my grandchildren, but they're they're not they're not as appreciative as they should be. That's uh, you know about something else you can think. Oh, flipping heck! They should have been kinder to me by just perhaps ring, ringing me up, ringing ringing people to see how they are is is a kindness. I never feel lonely. But I do know people who are lonely because I mean I still drive, so I can do that. I could give people, you know, people a lift. Wearing masks, masks are going out next week. Um, I don't know really. It's I feel as though I am. I I lead a kind life. I don't do, as far as I am aware, anybody any harm even though I was told off by Simon today for not thinking about what I'd said to somebody, which was a bit probably a bit private. So that was not kind, but I never thought I didn't think about that at the time. Well, I think what's interesting about what you're saying, and I've just sort of taken your, your comments there, I think what's interesting is that it can be difficult at times to always be kind because we are human. And invariably, we, we get things wrong. And invariably, uh, sometimes things can be tough. Um, however, just taking that moment, and you mentioned quite a few things about what kindness is there. I think just taking that moment um, to acknowledge and to appreciate others is that little step towards being kinder, I think. I'm, I'm just going through my mind now. I know, I know I should be to change my attitude to be kind to somebody who lives here uh, because of something that she did and said a couple of years ago, um, which was very upsetting. And my grandson, who you, the, the one who um, Simon's son said to me, Nana, do you not think you ought to forget about it 
and start speaking to her. Now that would be really, that would be quite a major step. Um, but I'm not ready for that yet. I'm not ready to be that kind and that sound. That's awful, really. Well, interesting, Margaret. That leads me on to the next question I ask, actually, because, and you might reframe your view when you listen to the question, um, which is, if you were to die tomorrow, what would you do differently to be the kindest in the room? Based on what you just said there, would the example be that you would speak to those perhaps who have not spoken to in a while or reach out to those individuals you've perhaps not reached in a while? I'd like to get your, your thoughts on that. Well, my sister, for example, I haven't seen my sister or actually spoken to her since my husband died. We communicate by email and WhatsApp, but we haven't actually spoken she hasn't been over here i haven't been over there um we've never been you know and i've got i've got relatives in manchester i've got nieces and nephews and uh, whatever but we've we've never connected so i very often think should i have a big do for my 90th birthday and god willing um or should should we get together as a family? But then again, you choose, you don't choose your family, you choose your friends. And that's that's a sad, sad situation, really. But at the moment, I've got no desire to do that. Perhaps I ought to do with my sister, who is not fully my sister. You know, we are very, very, very different. She would disagree with a lot of the stuff that I do and my views and all that but say you can't you can't really change your nature I don't think you, you can change your behavior to a certain extent but you can't really change your nature it's have to be a big a big step well this is very philosophical this well do you know Margaret it is a big step and I think um what I'm wanting to learn so that the listeners can learn is any lessons that allow them to go, you know what, that was a really difficult situation I was in. And I took a moment to just think about if I was to die tomorrow, what I would, what would I do differently? And I'm hoping that people take the question as a, as a way of just stepping back from themselves and saying, actually, you know what, life is too short. Let me reach out to that person. Let me just sort of, and it is difficult to, to reach out to somebody who's perhaps upset you or somebody that's hurt you. Um, however, in the grand scheme of things, do you not feel or think that, and I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just interested to get your opinion. Do you not think that for the, the greater and better good of yourself and, and, and the age that you've, you've, you've got to, that to reach out to that someone is, is worth doing? I feel as though I should do it, but unfortunately I'm not the only person who has this, this difficulty with with this person. I'm trying to think who I... My sister should be the first one that I say, you know, come across Madeleine and whatever, but um, really she should be the one before my, my neighbour. I probably, in a way, should be. But I think, do I have? Do I lead a selfish life? I probably do lead a selfish life because I do. 
I can do exact, practically exactly what I want to do. You know, I've got no body saying, don't, you know, don't do that. My, my family don't say you shouldn't be wearing that, Mother, as an 84-year-old. 80, 80, I haven't got into Doc Martens or torn, <laughs> torn jeans yet. But uh, that would be an idea. Probably I do leave a, lead a selfish life because I can do, I can play what I want on the television, I can eat what I want, I can go out when I want, go on holiday when I want. But, do you think being selfish is kind to you? It's kind to me, but whether people perceive that my selfishness is kind to them, I would hate to think that people would think that I'm unkind to them. I don't know, really. I don't think you are. I don't think you are at all. Um, but it's interesting you talk about being selfish, yet all of your acts towards others are showing selflessness, if that's the right expression. Uh, your your ability to talk to people and spend time with people and get an understanding of, of who they are by asking questions, one would argue that you are far from selfish, yet you 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 frame yourself as being selfish. And I wonder why that is. I, I really love talking to people. I mean, I know so many people, the man that collects the bins in Valley Gardens and collects them outside um, Westmoreland Street, he said to me the other day, were you walking up Westmoreland Street? So the gardeners in Valley Gardens, chat to them. Um my granddaughter said, you're always talking to men, Nana. <laughs> um, but I, I do, I just like talk. I like interacting with with people. Where did that come from? I've no idea, really. But I will, I, I will talk, basically I will talk to any, any, that sounds awful, talk to anybody, you know, even sort of somebody on a bench, sitting in the bench in Valley Gardens. I, you know, if they were having a picnic, I would say I'm a too late for tea or whatever. So, you know, I like to have conversations with, you know, with people. Then I pass by and they'll probably never see them again. I met a man and his wife in Valley Gardens this week and he said to me, um, hello, how are you? And I remem he remembers me from working in Marks and Spencers and we used to chat about his dog who died and they got a new dog. Hang on, Margaret. Sorry, did you work in Marks and Spencer? He no, he did. Oh right, he worked in Marks, and he remembered me from from as a customer in Marks and Spencer's, and we talked. You know, we talked about his dog. Um, he's retired from Marks now, so I said, "Oh, is this your new dog?" And I can remember saying, "I would let him have my notes for perhaps having um, what do you call the sugar diabetes, and he'd been diagnosed." So. I, but he, then, then he left. So the range of subjects, you know, how many people would chat to somebody in Marks and Spencer's about him possibly having diabetes and his dog, so I knew, I knew, about, it, you know, I knew about his dog. So it's, ex it's extraordinary. And it, it, it clearly shows somebody who has an openness and a willingness. <laughs> Simon would probably think I was absolutely crackers. But it, I would hate to go out on, on my walks without chatting to somebody, not necessarily know them, 
you might be just saying, flipping heck, we're out in this weather, because as you know, I go out in pouring rain anyway. Mm. Um, I don't know. My life is good. I've, I've got... I hope I've got nothing to regret from now on. Perhaps I have regrets from perhaps being a nag, especially driving. He used to say, if you want to drive this car, you you drive this car. Um, it's been a good life. It's been a good life. So I hope it con continues. No, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. And, and again, this leads me on to my uh, third and, and final question in terms of the, the framework of the, uh, of the show. Um, and I suppose... Those people listening to this now, I hope will we'll be getting some real value from what you're saying, um, which I, I certainly am. Can you edit this? I think what's important um, is, is taking those, those gems and those nuggets of knowledge. And I think you, you really are giving that to people. Um, the, the question I asked Margaret is, uh, what one piece of advice would you give our listeners to live a kinder life? Think about others and yourself less. But I don't. I don't really know how how they would do how they would do that. Think before you speak at times. Not necessarily give them more things, but I think thinking before you actually speak is a good thing because you can hurt people. You know, you, you might really still want to say it, but think about their your know, their reaction. So I think think before you think before you speak, act. Bef you know, don't act hastily before you actually do something. And talk to people. That I mean, I don't go on the bus. I don't go on the bus now. So sitting next to somebody on the bus and chatting. You don't very often see people just sitting on a bench on their own. <laughs> this, this strange walking woman of the duchy, whatever. Um, I think possibly think before you actually say something to somebody that you could hold back, even though you desperately want to, want to say it. I think that's probably being you know being kind, possible to you know contribute to. Charities, if you're able. Um, I don't. Oh my goodness me! This is really, really difficult. Well, no, it's, it, I think just what you're saying is absolutely incredible. You know, I just, I mean, I'm in absolute awe of what you do on, on a daily basis. I'm in awe of just the experiences that you've had, and I think anybody listening to this should be smiling and thinking <laughs> to themselves, "What an absolutely incredible individual." Someone who's lived, as I said in the, the intro, someone who's lived a life and experienced moments that only people would ever dream of. I think if anybody can take a, a snippet, a snapshot, a moment of all of the experiences, they would have lived a, a life well lived. Well, I would say I feel as though I've had a, a life well lived that's been a lot contributed by the people who have been around me, family, the people that I've seen now that I never knew um, two, three years ago, because I didn't do what I do now when my husband was alive. I used to go around the shops when he went to the gym, but my life is more sociable 
now than it was then because we were a pair and we did things together. And once we were no longer a pair, then my life became, I was on my own, but my, you know, connections are much wider than they were when I was with my husband. Mm. And that, you know, you know, that I'm grateful for. And I say to Simon, with the people I meet walking around here, when I've gone, <laughs> I think he needs to put notes on trees and lampposts round the duchy to say, I'm getting upset, Margaret is gone. Well, uh, hopefully that's... I'm sorry about that. Uh, that's ridiculous. Because I think people... When I when I fell off, fell backwards off my step and then I started walking around, people were worried that they hadn't seen me. So they'd be more worried if I'm, I'm not around. That's awful. I just said to him jokingly, I think you need to put notices on trees around, around the duchy to say this mad walking woman of, of the duchy has gone to meet her walking companion in the sky. Well, uh, if I can, I can leave it there, Margaret. It's been an <laughs> absolute pleasure. And with those words, you have been <laughs> most <laughs> definitely... It's ridiculous. ...the kindest in the room. It's not ridiculous at all. You have been the absolute kindest in the room, Margaret. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And hopefully those listening will <sighs> take note of the experiences that you've had uh, and share them with others. And as I said, the essence of the show is to, to see those patterns, to, li to live a kinder life. And, and I wish you all the very best. Th Margaret, thank you very thank much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Margaret. I'm getting upset at that. <laughs>